This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. And it's, yes, a happy Monday after yesterday's result of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. The Saints are advancing to the divisional round of the NFC playoffs after beating Carolina yesterday 31-26. Also on this Monday, we start a busy week for the New Orleans Pelicans. They're at home against the Detroit Pistons tonight. Four games in all this week, two of which will be at home tonight and on Friday. The Friday night game is a big one against the Portland Trailblazers. So we have plenty to cover on this Monday. We'll do the basketball side of things with Jake Chapman from Pistons.com coming up. But here in our first segment... We're pleased to welcome into Studio B this morning, John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com, who will be with me on the broadcast tonight of Pelicans and Pistons. But first things first, J.D., we've got to recap a big, exciting win yesterday at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Um, I think you and I both were in agreement that it was going to be close, that the atmosphere would be great, and you nailed it on Ted Ginn as he was a huge part of the win yesterday. Well, I just felt like if Carolina played some man-to-man, which I thought they'd get you know, caught in some of those situations because they like to. If you don't, if you don't rough up Ted Ginn Jr. at the line of scrimmage, if you don't redirect him, if you don't, you know, dissuade him in any way, then he he's at 32, still capable of running by anybody in the league, and that's exactly what he did. Now Michael Thomas did a nice job on that play of kind of sucking up uh, the safety and really leaving Ted in a one-on-one situation. But again, if you're just trying to go step for step with that dude, it's not going to happen for you. That's yeah. that's not going to be a good recipe. I had to start there because that's what you, you – I mean, you literally called it before well, the game. But, again, you I mean – You don't normally do that. Well, I, I don't, but I mean yeah. – but I knew that they like to play man-to-man because they like those corners. They like to play man-to-man. If you want to play man-to-man against the Saints, well, one, you're not going to be able to stop Michael Thomas, and he had a big game. But if you're going to play man-to-man and you're just trying to run with Ted Ginn Jr. all day long, sooner or later he's going to get you. I mean, he just got him sooner than later, but sooner or later he's going to get you. How uh, how tense was that building yesterday in the fourth quarter? Oh, I think everybody got a little tight, uh, <laughs> and, and and as well they should have. Um, really, for a minute it looked like it was going to be a blowout because the Saints were doing a nice job defensively of not allowing Carolina into the end zone. Those those early field goals they allowed uh, from the red zone instead of touchdowns turn out to be the difference in the game, really, because if they get if they give touchdowns in that situation, we're talking about closing out the season and guys are carrying their stuff out of the locker room and trash bags this morning instead of getting ready for another game. Yeah. So uh, they did a nice job defensively, a lot of bending, but not necessarily breaking. And then when they snapped a couple times late, they had built up enough of a lead to hold on. But, you know, it got fast and furious at the end. That last interception uh, was an iffy play. Um, really, Saints got 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 the benefit of, of, I guess, what you know the officials, because a lot of times in those situations, you see where that's not ruled uh, possession – and an interception. You see that one be ruled an incomplete pass, and then all of a sudden Carolina's got the ball at midfield instead of its own 35 or wherever it was. But, you know, it's a lot shorter field for Carolina to have to drive instead of, you know, what they had to do. But, you know, putting up those, you know, the offense came to life. I like to see that. They scored on four consecutive possessions, three of those touchdowns. You always like to see that. I'm going to stop worrying about what the Saints do on third down. They were two for eight yesterday. It just doesn't matter because they seem to be able to overcome it. What I am going to worry about is the attrition they are suffering on the offensive line. Um, At some point, it hadn't caught up with them this season um, to a degree where they've just been. But, I mean, but now Andrews Pete looks like he's going to be out. 
and they haven't had the projected starting line, starting offensive line for this team, did not play a snap together this season at all. Because Ryan Ramchick was never supposed to start. Right. And he started every game. So the projected starting lineup never played a snap together. And yet they've been able to kind of piecemeal it together and hold together and, and get the blocks when they need to. And, you know, really a testament to uh, to Dan Roche, the offensive line coach, and, uh, and to the players being pretty unselfish because, I mean, guys have been willing to flip-flop from position to position and and, and just do what they, they need to do to get it done. But at, at some point, man, you just wonder if, if there's going to be enough bodies to just finish this thing. Yeah, Max Unger, by the way, there's the key. Yeah, Max Unger's, yeah. Max Unger's a stud. Uh, Ryan Ramchek has turned out to be a, a godsend for this offensive line. I mean, again, he first-round pick. But he was supposed to be, you know, pretty much caddying for Zach Streif at right tackle this year and waiting his apprenticeship to take over maybe next year or the year after. And all of a sudden, Teron Armstead's hurt in the beginning and he's got to start at left tackle in his NFL debut, oh, by the way, at Minnesota, which is pretty good defensively. So, you know, he's been the mainstay. Max Unger's been the mainstay, but Larry Worf has been in and out a little bit with injury. Uh, now, Senio Kelamete, who's going to be taking over at left guard if Andrews Pete can't go, it looks like he won't be able to. Well, Senio's been in and out. And, of course, Teron Armstead at left tackle has been in and out. That's where it all began with Teron not being able to start at the you know, season opener with that triceps injury. So, look, man, it's, I mean, excuse me, not triceps, but uh, labrum. But, uh, you know, they just piecemealed it together, and, and they're trying to, to hold together long enough to get through these playoffs. No doubt. This is obviously the talk of the city today and the region, too. Uh, J.D., give Saints fans – that great conversation piece that they might be able to use they're either around the water cooler, as they say, or with family and friends. What's something that, that, that you can add uh, to the conversation based on what you saw yesterday and heard from the Saints after the ballgame? Well, here's the thing that was, was striking to me, and even though we, you know, we, discussed, uh, well, we hadn't discussed it, but you know, yesterday, um, for Carolina to basically say, we're going to make you win at throwing, that shocked me. Absolutely. I mean, Carolina loaded up the box and said, okay, we're going to take away the run and we're going to put the onus on the shoulders of your quarterback and basically said, you know, we don't care if he's going to the Hall of Fame and we don't care if you play it at home. We're going to make him beat us. And Drew Brees obliged. Um, yeah. so, so that that shocked me. I just I just I don't necessarily know if I would have gone that way if I'm Carolina. I would have wanted those younger guys, whether it be the running backs, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, uh, I would have wanted somebody to beat me instead of Drew Brees. I, I just would have preferred to, if I'm them, to take it out of his hands because he's been there and he's done that. And to basically, you know, I don't want to say insult him, but to basically say we don't believe you can get it done on your home field where you hadn't lost a playoff game, you know, he he looked like a guy who's ready to walk into the Hall of Fame, which is exactly what he is. And, uh, yeah, that, that surprised me a, a ton, the way Carolina played that. Um, Saints defensively have had, you know, some problems with, with tight ends. So if Minnesota's got one, you better look out because Greg Olson came back yesterday. And, you know, Greg Olson does that to a lot of people. But Greg Olson really uh, got got loose a few times yesterday. So, But, you know, a lot of things you, you see, I mean, they sacked Cam Newton four times yesterday. And they sacked him, I want to say, a total of – maybe 10 times this season uh, and they intercepted him you know three times in the first game didn't get him yesterday but you know they were able to apply some pressure and, and, and Cam Jordan is is just adult he 
There are times. Adult, is that what you called him? Yeah, he's just adult. I mean, he does some things that makes everybody else look like kids out there. I mean, he on his sack, and I watched it, he he run, he gives a, a great swim move to, to right tackle Daryl Williams. And, just, you know, Daryl Williams is just meat off the snap. So then Christian McCaffrey is supposed to come over and chip. And he basically runs through Christian McCaffrey and carries Christian McCaffrey back into Cam Newton's lap before he gets a sack. And I mean, it's just one of those things where you look at him, it's like he's playing with kids, it almost seems like. And so, you know, he is he's phenomenal. He he really is something. It's like watching Adam Sandler in that dodgeball scene. <laughs> that? I mean on it's, the playground. It's, I mean, you look at him and it's like it's like, you know, you see it and it's like are are those guys? Is you know, what did John Stark say? Did that dude did what he just did? I mean, it's almost like you know who's block, who's supposed to be blocking him, and why is he able to get through people like this? And then you look at the replay, and it's like, you know, it's like you got to be kidding me. He he did that to to a grown man. I know it was special, and it was a part of a sequence that also saw Marshawn Lattimore make a big play. The big the big guns on the Saints defense stepped up to finish off the game yesterday. And then you mentioned the offensive side of things. And don't forget Will Lutz yesterday with the 57-yard field goal. I thought that was pretty significant. So we call it championship football or complimentary football or a lot of different things that Drew Brees and Sean Payton call it. You got something from all three phases of the game yesterday. And I knew it would be close. There was no way they were going to blow them out again. Yeah, yeah. But, look, was it a perfect game? No. But at the same time, it was the kind of game that moves teams on in the postseason well they played clean that you know the late turnover the interception essentially was a short punt it run you know i almost don't even count that for a turnover so they protected the football uh they did enough in the run game now they ran it 22 times for 41 yards but the yards aren't what you look at you look at more so the attempts to keep carolina honest defensively so they've got to at least respect the run now did the saints run it well heck no but they ran it enough to where Carolina couldn't just sit back and say, okay, they're not going to run it at all. They, they, they're not going to run it. So the Saints did make them have to come up and play the run. And by the way, by virtue of that, they were able to get some things going, play action, and get behind them defensively. So they did enough. They, they did enough. I didn't think that Mark Ingram's greatest contribution yesterday would be recovering Brandon Coleman's fumble. That was massive. Well, that's two. That's two things. One, that's Mark being alert, and two, that's Brandon. Brandon Coleman better, better, better. How do I say this? He better hold on to the ball, and I won't say no cuss words in there. But I'm sure he caught a couple of them on the sideline because that's three fumbles within the last, I think, three games or so. I can't remember exactly when he had the two fumble game, but I mean, he better protect the football. I mean, it, it's the most precious commodity on the on the field is the ball, and that's a couple of times. And yesterday, you know, when he fumbled, he was just trying to do too much. You know, holding the ball out with one hand, you know, Walter Payton style like a loaf of bread, and Walter Payton went to the Hall of Fame doing that, but Brandon Coleman's probably not going to go to the Hall of Fame unless he visits. But that being said, I know Brandon, so he'll take that dig if he listens. But <laughs> but that being said, he's got to protect the ball. And Mark, you know, being alert, following the play, and jumps on that ball because if the Saints lose it right there, man, that that's another play that could be a momentum shift. Oh well, yeah, they went on to score on that. Drive, yeah, that's so. that's a that's a momentum shift, and now all of a sudden you you might be looking at a totally different game. So yeah, Mark, you know, used to being a guy who makes an impact in the run game, but that time you know just a hustle play, which was you know really alert by him. Yeah, we could do two hours on this game. There was so much to chew on. Those are I think those are good good highlights here on this Monday, John. What what does this week now shape up to be? 
with a Sunday visit to Minneapolis. Well, this is about recovery. Now, you know, the the good part is you're playing a somewhat familiar opponent because they opened the regular season with Minnesota and, of course, you know, lost 29-19 to in Minneapolis. And Sam Bradford was the quarterback of the Vikings then, obviously. Uh, that defense has not changed. The, the offense maybe has changed a little bit because they have a different quarterback, obviously. But that defense is still, you know, one of the top in the league. And that's what the Saints really have to contend with um, because you almost get the feel defensively that if the Saints can clean up one or two things, like they let a couple of guys pop free yesterday and get open and, you know, it's like, okay, what do you guys, you know, you're having some communication issues and those kinds of things, which you would not like to see at this point in the season, but I guess it just happens. But you don't get the feeling that the Saints defense is going to be just run out of the, of the gym, so to speak you know, against Minnesota's offense. But they better be able to contend with that Minnesota defense because now, the, the you know, the tables turn where you're the team that's probably going to have the communication issues because of the crowd noise. And you're playing a really, really good defense. Uh, they have a cornerback, Xavier Rhodes, who's one of the best in the league. They've got a couple of defensive linemen who are among the best in the league. And so you got to be able to deal with those people. And you're going to have to deal with it, again, with – not a patchwork offensive line, but not really with all the guys that you had hoped to have in those positions all season long. So, you know, there's some things to contend with that, that are going to have to be taken care of. But, you know, first and foremost for the Saints, they got to get their bodies ready. Minnesota had a chance to have a bye week. They're probably as healthy as they have been all season long. Saints lost Andrews Pete in that game. They're probably, I know they're going to be dinged up as they go there now to get some, you know, rest and recovery time. But, uh, they're going to have to contend with uh, with the physicality of it because Minnesota's going to bring it to them. And we saw it in the season opening, and that's the way the Vikings have played all season. Yeah. The good news is it's a Sunday to Sunday. You can have your regular schedule this week, too. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. That gives you, you – know, keeps you in the routine. Yep. And, again, you know, outside of Pete, I can't think of anybody who was so injured that he left the game and couldn't come back. So, that from that standpoint, that's a good thing. But, you know, again, we're talking about your starting left guard who also, by the way – uh, plays left tackle and played a whole lot of left tackle this year in the in the absence of Teron Armstead. So they're missing a critical offensive lineman. There's no way to slice it. Senio Kelimete is a nice fill-in and a nice backup. But there's a reason Andrews Pete was playing and starting. Andrews Pete probably had his best NFL season this year. Without a doubt. And, and, and so to lose him and you miss the camaraderie he had built with Teron Armstead on, the, on, on that left side as well as with Max Unger at center. So, you know, now you're going to have to you know lose that, that ability and you lose a huge man, just a huge presence, a, a large dude, man. <laughs> so, so you know, you got to make up for that. And, uh, and Minnesota isn't the optimal place to do that. However, uh, if you're the Saints, you got to figure, you know, you like your chances. They have a game that travels. They have not run it well lately, but they do know that they can run it and they are going to attempt, you know, they're going to get the attempts. I don't think this is going to be a Saints team where we've seen in the past where the Saints might have, you know, 14 or 15 run attempts, you know, that kind of thing. You can't win that way. It's hard to win when you're throwing it 45 times and running it 10, 15. Right. But you can win if you're running it 20, 25 times just because you're making the attempts and you make that defense have to deal with you. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing I would imagine that Minnesota's probably going to grab Xavier Rose and they're probably going to put him on Michael Thomas and they're going to take their chances. And I'm looking forward to that because Michael Thomas, you know, doesn't fear any football player. So I'm really looking forward to that matchup. Yeah, eight big catches yesterday for Michael Thomas. It's going to be a fun week. Looking forward to it. 
Falcons and Eagles on the other side of the bracket. That'll be very interesting. It's interesting. I was telling Daniel Salerson here before we started taping our podcast today. Careful, Saints fans, what you ask for here. I understand you want that home game against Atlanta, but boy, talk about pushing all the chips to the center of the table in that rivalry. Well, hey, I mean, but hey, I want to push my chips in the middle because it's home. Yes. You know, and, and oh, I any, get it. Yeah, anytime get you get a chance it, to play at home, you want to play at home. I'm just And so, hey, the Falcons will be a formidable team for anybody. Oh, whether, yes. You know, that's Philly. And I, look, they've got a team, you know, watching them Saturday night and watching them really this season. They've had some some bumpy road, but I mean, you always say this about any 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 sport. You know, the champs are the champs until they ain't the champs no more. Okay, there's a reason they won the NFC last year. They're a pretty good team, and they got most of those principal characters back. And you saw it Saturday night against the Rams. Yep, I wouldn't be surprised to see it again against Philly. They're turning in the right direction. Yes, no doubt. Good to see you. Good to be here. See you tonight. Yeah. Pelicans and Pistons. We'll talk about that when we continue. Jake Chapman is up next here on the Black and Blue Report. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top quality ingredients. It would grow to become something that connected us, the neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe, original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more, and always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. This Pelican season, the entire family can do it big with the Pierre's Party Pack, presented by Cheetos Popcorn. Pelican ticket packages are available for select home games and include three or more tickets, combo meals, Cheetos Popcorn, and an on-court free throw experience with Pierre the Pelican, all for as low as $54. The next Pierre's Party Pack night is January 20th against the Memphis Grizzlies. For more information and to plan your next big night out with the gang, visit pelicans.com today. It's Pelicans game day. This is the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back. Let's turn our attention to basketball. The Pelicans begin a very busy week tonight at home when they welcome in the Detroit Pistons. That's a team that we have not seen yet. Pistons will come into the ballgame 21-17. The Pelicans off of a pretty embarrassing loss to Minnesota, at least how it played out, and now stand at 19-19. Help us get ready for tonight's basketball game. Jake Chapman's back with us on the Black and Blue Report. Jake, of course, a Pistons broadcaster and also a Pistons.com. Hello, my friend. Hopefully you've thawed out a little bit from the deep freeze up north. Hey, Sean, we're getting there. Uh, I think it's about 26 degrees outside right now. It feels like spring, so (laughs) it's all relative, as they say. I heard you were out there in your Pistons uh, practice jersey just running around in a tank top all day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, so I'm used to it, but – you know, spent spent some time down in Orlando with Daniel Sellerson, and so my my blood I don't even think is thickened back up yet. I'm a, I'm a Florida boy. Fair enough, fair enough. Hey, nice win for the Pistons the other night against the Rockets. Is that is that something that you had all been expecting, or how does it relate to the season in general? God no, I mean this team is very very difficult to to wrap your head around. Um, you know, it was a James Hardenless Rockets team, but still a very potent offense on Saturday night that came to LCA and the Pistons. Gave up 37 points in the first quarter to Houston, which isn't very rare for Houston. It's not very rare for the Pistons. They've been uh, one of these teams that sort of struggles out of the gate a lot in games. But then their defense locked them down. They held the Rockets to 21 points in the second, 19 points in the third quarter. 
uh, and come out with a 108-101 win. And that was the second half of a back-to-back, a road home back-to-back, where they got smacked by the Sixers on Friday night by 30 points. They were down 30 early in the second quarter in that game. So, uh, and, and, oh, by the way, on Saturday night, they didn't have Andre Drummond. He had a rib contusion, and they did have him on Friday night. He gave it a go, and he uh, ended up getting sore in the middle of the game. So this Pistons team is very difficult to figure out. They obviously had a really hot start. They were 14-6 and six in their first 20 games. Um, you know, they sort of leveled off, and now they're starting to deal with some injuries. Reggie Jackson out. Drummond's been in and out. Stanley Johnson's been in and out. Avery Bradley is just now back. So trying to keep their head above water right now and uh, make it to the all-star break above 500, and then they can rest up a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the injuries because I'm looking kind of at the body of work right now. And at one time, it was nearly 106 points per game offensively. It's dropped off to about 97.2. Is it, Are the injuries the main culprit here? Yeah, I think the Reggie Jackson injury, believe it or not, um, has, has played a big role in the offense sort of dropping off for a couple of reasons. As you guys know, you know, you get that ripple effect. Now Itch Smith is bumped into the starting lineup. Now you got Dwight Bikes as your backup point guard. Guys just getting used to each other. Um, you know, Itch is a really, really good backup point guard because he comes in and he changes the pace of games. As you guys know, as a starter, it's a little bit different a role. And now you got starters like Tobias Harris um, and Andre Drummond, you know, having to learn on the fly with Ish in there. Yes, they play with him, but, um, you know, a, a, a big key of that, of that strong start was offensively Drummond and Harris playing better than they've ever played. And Reggie Jackson was kind of a, you know, secondary tertiary piece. But I did see a stat the other day, right when Reggie went down, which is, I think we're going on a week and a half now, uh, almost two weeks, um, that he was responsible for something like, you know, nearly 30% of the Pistons' offense in terms of scoring and assists, the points he was creating. Um, and, you know, Reggie's a very polarizing player. Um, a lot of times late in games, he can, you know, sort of fall into hero ball a little bit. And um, he's got some fans and some detractors here in Detroit. But the bottom line was he was healthy. He was playing really well. He was creating for his teammates. Uh, and since he went down with that grade three ankle sprain, it's been certainly an adjustment period for these guys. Do you think Andre Drummond plays tonight in New Orleans? I'm not sure. I, I, I honestly don't. What he told us um, was that he got caught in the ribs in practice. I think Eric Moreland, who you'll see tonight, he's a long, lanky guy with those pointy elbows. I think he caught him in the ribs, uh, Drummond. He probably should not have played that Friday night game in Philadelphia. And he said after the game, you know, they, they were targeting me. I mean, they, they you know, I, they, they knew where I was hurting, and they started throwing some bows, and it just got progressively worse as the night went. Obviously, we'll have an update here, hopefully, um, sooner than later at, uh, at shoot-around. But I got a feeling, you know, right now with the team coming off that win, sort of vibing and feeling good, um, if, I were, if I were Stan, if I were drumming, I'd take a, a, another couple days off. You know, rib injuries can be so painful, especially for somebody like Drummond, who's so important, uh, down on the block and, and, and battling for rebounds. Um, really, the only way to, you know, for that to heal up is to rest up. So I think maybe they'll give it another day or two, um, and maybe they'll be back by the weekend. That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to see a big-on-big matchup tonight. You know, Boogie and Drummond. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Look, he, he should not have played that Friday night game against Philadelphia, and I think he... He went out there and gutted it out because he knew they needed him against Embiid. Um, so maybe there's a chance. Maybe he'll, he'll just go for it and uh, be uncomfortable because this is his, uh, the only time they're in New Orleans, I believe, um, this year in, in his first crack at, uh, at Boogie and AD. Yeah, it's amazing. By the way, the Pistons have lost eight straight here, uh, and I didn't realize that until this morning, which is pretty amazing. Oh. 
Um, yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Hey, more on Drummond here just for a second. Look, I've been watching him now for a couple of seasons, and he gets better every year. And here he is at about 14 and 14, almost 14 and 15 points, rebounds. He's a monster. Is he? Has he added something this year that perhaps I'll I'll enjoy seeing if he gets to play? Yeah. Well, offensively, Stan has made a, a switch. He's running a lot more dribble handoff stuff. So whereas it used to be the high pick and roll, and that goes all the way back to Orlando, uh, Dwight, Jameer, Hito, Turkoglu. Um, when he got here, that was his original idea. Was I'm just going to run pick and roll, pick and roll, surround Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond with shooters, and you know if Reggie is. Um, is right, and that's a pretty potent offense. But last year, Jackson was injured all year, and even when he was uh, in there, he certainly wasn't the Reggie we saw two years ago. So I think Stan figured, look, I've, I've got some other players, like a Tobias Harris, um, you know, when all was said and done, they brought in Avery Bradley. Over the course of the season, and he told us, he talked to Jeff Van Gundy a lot about this, and he talked to Bob Byer, his associate head coach, a lot about this. They decided that running a lot more dribble handoff stuff, making that the primary offense, would be a better way to capitalize on having guys like Harris and Bradley. And what that means is that the offense is running through Drummond. So now you'll see Drummond drawn out even further from the basket at the top of the key with the ball in his hand um, and sort of setting that screen off the handoff where, you know, he uses that waist and, and that big butt of his. Um, it's kind of an illegal screen. I mean, he hands it off and then he, and then he slides his feet. And he's sliding his feet to get to the basket, but it's a very uh, potent sort of screen-setting operation um, there And the other thing that he does is when that action goes by, uh, Drummond's been creating. He hit his career high for assists uh, about two or three weeks ago now. I mean, you know, and obviously with still a whole lot of games to play. So he's, cre- he's a much more uh, involved part of the offense. And as you guys know, with big men, sometimes that's all they really need to, uh, to kind of, you know, for that light bulb to go off is just involve me on both sides of the floor don't relegate me to just being a rebounder and a defensive big, and uh, you'll get 100% effort. He's just been so much more consistent this year than he's been in years past. The rebounding is still there. The defense is coming. It's a little bit better. He's a very underrated pick-and-roll defender. Been moving his feet, doing a much better job of that. Dumb fouls and things like not getting back down the floor that Stan would bang his head against the wall uh, earlier in Drummond's career. That stuff has been mitigated, and he's making free throws. So it's it's really he's he sort of put it all together so far this year. But I really think the big key has been Stan involving him more in the offense uh, with that dribble handoff set. We'll keep an eye on that tonight. Jake Chapman with us here from Pistons.com. Jake, the Pistons are four games over five hundred. When you when you started this season, uh, what did you think? Where did you think the Pistons would be in, in the in the Eastern Conference lot? Are they where you thought they'd be now here, almost halfway through the season? Yeah, Sean, I figured they'd be floating around 500 for a majority of the season um, as kind of a best-case scenario, and I figured that would put them somewhere around the 6-7-8 seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, right now at 21-17, and 17, I believe they're in the seventh spot uh, in the East, but it's so jumbled up down there. Yeah, they're at 21-17. and 17. They're even with the Milwaukee Bucks right now uh, for the 6-7 and seven seed. They're a game up on Indiana. There's a couple teams in the East that I didn't quite think would be as good as they've been. Like, Indiana's been a surprise, certainly. I thought Philadelphia would struggle a little more than they have. Um, they're at about 500 on the season. So I, I, I assumed – I didn't think they would be this good. I certainly didn't think they would start 14-6. and six. Uh, But then they had a seven-game losing streak right after that. So that sort of leveled things off. I figured they would be right about a 40-42 a win team. Maybe, you know, if everything went well up to about 45 wins. I think they're still on pace for just about that. 
um, and six, seven, eight in the Eastern Conference. There was a time earlier in the year when they when they got off to that great start that you started to talk yourself into. Can they be a top four team in the East? But certainly, if they miss the playoffs this year, um, that's going to be a big disappointment. Now, in year four with Stan Van Gundy, they would have only made it one season uh, to the postseason. And in this Eastern Conference, you're looking at Boston, Cleveland, and yeah, Toronto's been really good so far this year. But there's no reason that the Pistons team shouldn't be one of the top eight teams in the conference. So it's a whole lot of pressure on this team this year. And I think that's why I assumed they would make the playoffs, because everybody knows how important this is. If they miss out on the postseason this year, uh, you got to expect major changes, I think, this summer. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Hey, one last thing, Jake, before you go. I'm going to take Andre Drummond off the table. With that being said, who would be a player to watch tonight for the Detroit Pistons? Well, I'll give you two. In one sense, a player to watch is Avery Bradley because he's been back for three games now, and he has shot the ball horrendously since he's come back. And Avery, we know what he does on both sides of the floor, how important he is on the defensive end, and that hasn't gone away, and he's still going to give uh, probably Drew Holiday fits tonight, um, and, and, and that's the that's the primary role that Avery plays on this team. But since he's been back, he's been shooting the ball and using the ball, um, using possessions about the same as he did before he went out, and it has been not good at all. He's been turning the ball over and shooting very, very poorly since he's been back. If he can knock down some shots tonight and sort of get into a little bit of a rhythm, then I think that'll make a big difference, and I think the Pistons, um, you know, that'll put them ahead. As far as the offensive side of the ball, I mean, Tobias Harris has been so important uh, with this team this year. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but they win a majority of the games when he scores 20-plus points. He's not the best defender in the world, but um, last couple games he's been shooting the ball lights out. And I think one change you'll see, Sean, um, and Daniel, that you maybe haven't seen in, in years past, is he's really added the three ball. He's shooting 43% from three this year. He's a career 35% three-point shooter and that has unlocked the rest of his offense so if he gets rolling like he was in Houston the other night he was three of six from three eight of 15 from the field he scored 27 points if he gets rolling like that then um, the Pistons offense runs through him and and they're very very potent this was a strong outing for you on game day nicely done thanks Sean appreciate it Jake Chapman with us from Pistons.com he's a friend of Daniel Salerson's we'll leave it at that And we'll come back uh, here in just a moment to wrap up today's Black and Blue Report after these messages. Boom! Now Uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button. Heading to a Pelicans game, Uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun. And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. What is big? Big is Drew Holiday. Red hot from the perimeter and ice at the foul line. Big is DeMarcus Cousins, a 6'11 defensive flamethrower that vaporizes man-on-man coverage. Big is Anthony Davis, a laser-guided missile of athleticism aimed at the rim. Come see the Pels in a Southwest Division matchup against Chris Paul, James Harden, and the Houston Rockets. Friday, January 26th. Visit pelicans.com for tickets. New Orleans Pelicans. Do it big. Follow us on Twitter at Black Blue Report. 
Hey, thanks to our guest today, Jake Chapman from Pistons.com. John DeShazer, obviously, from NewOrleansSaints.com. That uh, Pelicans-Pistons game is tonight at 7 Central. There are tickets available at Pelicans.com. We'll have coverage on the Pelicans Radio Network and Fox Sports New Orleans starting for you at 6.30. Looking forward to that. Pelicans will travel tomorrow. Wednesday's a road game at Memphis. Thursday night is Alvin Gentry's show on the Pelicans side. Back home on Friday to take on Portland. And then they'll start a road trip that finds them going to New York, Boston, and Atlanta. Ooh, there you go. And obviously the Saints schedule is all set. Looking forward to the Saints and Vikings on Sunday. The uh, Saints travel party will experience the same weather that we did in Minneapolis this past week with temperatures hovering around zero. <laughs> Thank goodness that is an indoor facility now. U.S. Bank Stadium, fantastic place to play. And we'll be covering all things Saints and Vikings throughout the week at NewOrleansSaints.com. Hey, before I go, a couple of notes that Daniel Salerson passed on to me yesterday. We talked about some of these during the Saints postgame show at NewOrleansSaints.com yesterday, but Daniel was digging around and and uh, bounced some uh, little nuggets back my way, and I appreciate that. For example, Drew Brees throwing multiple passes into the end zone against the Blitz for the first time since Week 2 against the Patriots. Yes, that was uh, played out yesterday. J.D. and I talked about Josh Hill and the impact that he had in yesterday's win over Carolina, Hill's the first Saints tight end to have a postseason touchdown reception since Jimmy Graham in 2012. Graham had two in the divisional round game against San Francisco. And, of course, yesterday was the first playoff game in the Super Bowl era in which uh, both kickers, one from each side, made a field goal of 55-plus yards. There you go. A couple of things to add to your conversation today amongst friends, co-workers, and family. We'll see you right back here on Wednesday. It'll be a Wesley Wednesday on the Black and Blue Report. We'll also have more on Saints Vikings. We'll look forward to having you back with us at that point. Until then, I'm Sean Kelly. See you next time here on the Black and Blue Report.